There we go. Pray with me as I pray. Father, I just, um, I come to you and I, that last part of that uh, really stuck out to me, that um, the way is narrow and few find it. And so Lord, I thank you that, that as your people gathered, we are um, just abundantly blessed. As we have already been this morning, I pray that you would remind us that, um, that, that what you told us when you were here was that the prophets long to see what, you, what we see and hear what we get to hear. And so Lord, remind us that even as we continue to worship you in the word, that, um, that this is a blessed privilege. Um, this is not a burden. Lord, I thank you that you're a God that um, that has revealed himself to us in creation. You've revealed yourself to us in one another. You've revealed yourself to us um, by, by even just your spirit in us. You've revealed yourself to us by your word. And so Lord, I, I pray that you would just continue to show us the beauty and the majesty that is Jesus Christ and allow his image to transform form ours into his. Lord, for your glory and in his name we pray. And all God's people said... Amen. Go ahead and have a seat if you would. Um, some of you probably have heard this or seen this. I don't know where it first started, but, um, but it says this. The saying says, be kind. Everyone you meet is fighting a battle you know nothing about. I'll say it again. Be kind. Everyone you meet is fighting a battle you know nothing about. I saw this image just recently about why we should be gentle with people. It's a line that just says, like, the person's whole life, and then at the very end of the line, it says the part that we know about it, right? So even with the people you're sitting next to, even with people that you are, um, from our human perspective, intimately acquainted with, like, we, the fraction of their reality that we really know, like, the inner them, it, like, is is a fraction of what makes them them. And yet we interact with people often like we know everything about them. And it, it, what's even crazier is like, we've, even in our online world, we somehow think we really know these people because of what they're posting or saying or the pictures they're sharing. Or, and, and so we start, that, and all of that, all of that false knowing leads us into um, bad assumptions, which leads us into some really um, um, poor relationships is what is I guess what I would say so your first talking points question says this think about people this is just how we get our conversation going here right think about people who you see as kind so I want you to stop for a minute and I want you to think about it can be people that you know maybe it's somebody like you know you know well maybe it's just somebody that you just you look at them and you go they they seem like a kind person what kind of attributes lead you to believe they're kind so I'm asking, like, what kinds of things in there that do you see that makes you think someone is a kind person? Generosity. Generosity. Service. Service. Seeing the good in others. Like, so they never have a bad word to say about people because they're always speaking like words of life. I heard, um, I think it was Sean or somebody back here said, patience. patience. Being a patient person. Good. What else? They listen. They listen. So they're good listeners. Right, like that's that's a, that's an area that we've really. I mean, you can you know how you get to know somebody, you ask them a question and then you listen, right? But what we do is we talk, like that tends to be how we relate to people. We spend so much time talking, or even when they're talking to us, what what are we doing? Thinking about what we're about to say back, right? It's just it's just part. Of, it's because we're we're so internally focused. I heard somebody else say something else that, what? Oh, what what'd you say, mom? 
the way they treat other people. Just like are they are they like how how are how are they um, how are they interacting with others? So so you, you think about that and you go like it, it seems. We, we see those things. So, so when you see somebody that, that, that is defined by some of those words, patience, loving, um, service-oriented, um, like always has a kind word to say, do you tend to migrate, want to be near them, or do you tend to move away from them? Like near them, right? The, pe- the people that we see as kind are the, are, are tend to be the kind of people that we gravitate towards, right? It's, it's part of why the crowds gravitated towards Jesus, because in a lot of different ways, they saw him as kind, right? Now, now um, I, I put this picture up before, but, but one of the struggles we have is, um, is us. Because, because we believe that people, that our kindness towards one another is somehow impacted, like or, or it should somehow be affected by whether we think the people we're being kind to deserve it or not. Have they, have they filled out, have they followed, like filled um, their, their end of the bargain, so to speak? And what real love is, what real biblical love is, is it's just loving other people, being kind to other people without ever asking the question, do they deserve it? Now, why, why should we as Christians be the first to say that? Right? Do, do we deserve it? Right? If, if, if your answer to the question of do, do we deserve the love he has shown to us, do we deserve the kindness he has shown to us, if your answer to that question is anything other than absolutely not, then, then you and I probably need to have a conversation before you leave here today. Like, because, because there's some gospel truth that needs to get fleshed out in your life and, and in that conversation. Because the, the, our motivation for kindness, our motivation for love, is because God has shown his kindness towards us. I have this written down, guys. This is how, I'll just, if, if, and this will probably, you know, if you, if you haven't given up on me already, then, then maybe you won't. But um, because of the, just how I share, like, the, my struggles. But, guys, I, I literally have this saying programmed in as a reminder on my phone to come up every morning, first thing in the morning. And it says this. It says, whatever kindness I can accomplish today, let me do it with the kindness of Christ. Because I will not have these opportunities again. The people that you bounce, that like, so, so what that reminds me of every day is whether it's people here at church or the people that I'm, I'm meeting with or the students that I have at Arizona Christian or like it's, I'm, I want to remind my soul, like my, my jo- one of my jobs is to just be kind, to be kind with the kindness of Christ because I might not get the chance to interact with that person ever again. And what, and do I want them to, to, to step in to a relationship with me in, an, in, a, in the hopes that maybe they will see Jesus because they see me as a kind and loving person? Or do, or, or do I want them to go, wow, that guy is really smart, but what a jerk, right? Like, which can tend to be how I come across sometimes. So where do I get this concept? And what does this have to do with what we're talking about today? Because we're back in the Gospel of Matthew, and we're in chapter 7. Chapter seven. Where do I get this concept of kindness? Because I'm not just here to preach a topical message about being kind. We're talking about kindness because the passage we're going to be in today is demonstrating that Christ cared about us being kind. So where do I get that? Well, what I want you to do is turn to Matthew chapter 5. 
Not yet. We're going to be in chapter 7. This is all by way of introduction. The points actually go faster than the introduction does today, um, which seems to have been the case the last few weeks. But I want, to, I want to show you, look at Matthew chapter 5 and starting in verse 20. We're going to kind of start where we finish. Like last week, we, I said we're going to start where we finish. And I said in Matthew 28, it talked about how the very last verses of, of the gospel of Matthew in Matthew 28, don't turn there, but it's a, you go find 520. But in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, it says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always. And we talked about how like, that's, the, that's the, the, the exclamation point on the end of the whole gospel. And then we also looked at um, Matthew, or Matthew 7, 29, the end of the Sermon on the Mount, which is the section of Matthew that we, that we are in currently. And how it says that the, when he gets done teaching the Sermon on the Mount, the people are amazed because he has authority. And that that idea of his kingdom, he is king, his kingdom is different, that colors the entire um, gospel of Matthew. Matthew. Matthew is writing intentionally this, his gospel to show us that Jesus is king, that his kingdom has come, that his kingdom is coming, and that it is distinctly different from the kingdom of this world. And so, when he, so, so how does that relate to us? So look at Matthew chapter 5. So here's Jesus teaching, and look at chapter 5, verse 20. He says, For I tell you that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And we look at that and we go, I taught through that. I'm not going to break it all down again. We, 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 this was all before the, um, the holiday season. You can go back and listen to the message about that passage if you want. But guys, remember when we talked about that, we're like, our righteousness cannot exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. And the, that audience would have heard, man, these are like the most righteous people we know. And so he is intentionally saying, hey guys, what you think is righteous, unless you're better than that, which, oh, by the way, you can't be, then, then you have no hope. Now, th- like, we're like, yeah, but, but what does that even mean? Well, here's what's interesting. From, from chapter 5, verse 20 to, to on, chapter, the rest of chapter 5, chapter 6, and, and the first part of chapter 7, Jesus is going to tell us what righteousness greater than the Pharisees looks like. And it's completely upside down, our logo our, for the series, from what the world thinks it is. And then you go on to um, look at, so now turn to um, verse, uh, chapter 7, verse 13. This is sort of, this is the end of today's passage, but it's also the end of a distinct part of the sermon. So in chapter 5, verse 20, he says, he lays the groundwork and he says, hey guys, I, I just told you what my kingdom people are like. Now I'm here to tell you, here's what you're supposed to do. Now he's going to finish up, and he's going to say in verse 13 and 14, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. So most of the world is moving towards um, the gate of destruction or denying Christ. And then it says, For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. So so he he starts the meat of his sermon, chapter 5, verse 21, with um, our, verse 20, with a warning. Man, you, you, better, you have to be really good or you're not going to make it. He ends the meat of his sermon, chapter, or verses 13 and 14 of chapter 7, with, oh, by the way, it's really hard to get in. And you go, okay, where's the hope in that? What's his point? His point is, he is the hope in that. The gospel is the hope in that. Guys, whenever we come to Scripture, 
And, 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 and I promise you it does connect to what we're going to talk about today in Matthew 7 and about kindness. When we come to Scripture, we need to constantly be filtering our lens in a piece of Scripture. It needs to constantly be filtered through some questions. Why is this verse in this passage? Why is this passage in this chapter? Why is this chapter in this book? Why is this book in the Bible? So if the book is in the Bible to show Jesus is king and his kingdom, and, the ch- and, and this chapter or the Sermon on the Mount, what we call chapters 5 through 7, is, to sh- is, for his, is his teaching that that kingdom is completely flipped. It's different than what the people thought. right? Then when we come to the passages that talk about judge not, or, see, or, um, or seek and knock and ask, we need, to, we need to filter those words, those phrases, through this overarching idea. What is Matthew's point? Matthew's point is to show Jesus is king, and his kingdom is not only better, but different. Right? And, and, and if, we don't, if we don't come to these passages correctly, then we will tend to, we'll either misinterpret them and apply them like however we want them to say, like in, in, in an eisegesis kind of way, in a way that I wanted to say a certain thing. Or what we, will also, what we will also do is lean either towards legalism or licentiousness or just loose living. Because what we'll do is we won't see it for what it really is, for what it's really there for. So here's what's interesting about this last part. So this will, this will wrap up the, sort of the introduction to, the, to, to this part of Matthew. In, in the first part of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 through 19 or 20, where I, where I had you go at the beginning, there are only, four, there are only three or four commands in, all, in those 20 verses. Almost all of it are what are called indicatives. It's, it's Jesus just saying, here's who my people are. The, the Beatitudes. Blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are the merciful, blessed are the poor in spirit. Right? He's saying, These, this, is what my, this is who my people are. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, the, the part we'll get to next week, Lord willing, there's almost no commands. It's all indicatives. It's, he's just saying, hey, and oh, by the way, my people are the people that build their house on the rock that is my word. So the beginning and the end of this long sermon, he is saying, here's who my people are. And that's different than the world. Because my people are different kingdom people. Guess what the whole middle section of the, of the um, sermon is filled with? Commands. In the next 70 verses, he has 60 commands. So he goes from, here's who my people are, to here's what my, peop- what my people do, because here's who my people are. Why does that matter? Because our doing, our behaving, has to flow from our... Being. What we do flows from whose we are. So, so the reason I needed to take the time to, to set that table is to say, because there's some really hard teaching in these next few verses. There's some really um, kind of complicated ideas about being kind to one another. And, and my instinct is to just white-knuckle it and go, okay, so I have to work not to judge people. The whole point Jesus is making is, you can't, I did, trust me. Just live your life, do, do in the power of who I am, not of who you are. So with that, all that to say, this last part, which we call chapter 7 of, of, 
Um, the gospel or the of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter seven, is I'm I'm calling it kingdom living. It's in two parts, and today we're talking about kingdom living in kindness towards each other. And Josh led us through that in prayer, and um, and so this this is going to go faster than the introduction did. But here's the question that we're going to ask today. So if if kindness is a big deal to God, where does the kindness of God lead? Where does the kindness of God lead us? And we're going to see in these 14 verses in this particular place, the kindness of God leads us to what Josh had us pray through. Caring for one another, God's will, like discovering and knowing God's will for other people. We'll get there in a few minutes. And then loving one another well. That's, that's the point. He's saying, my kingdom people, my kingdom has come. I am the king. My kingdom is different. My, what he's leading us to is, because of who I am, Jesus is saying, because of who I am, my kingdom people are kind. So here's what doing kindness looks like. Does that make sense? If you got nothing else out of all that, whole, like get that. What, what he's going to show us in these next few verses is, because of me, because Jesus is saying, because of me, my kingdom people are kind. And here specifically is what kindness looks like for my people, if that makes any sense at all. So with all of that, let's, just, let's, let's look at our first point. This idea of kindness and caring for one another. Look at um, jo- uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. It says, judge not lest you be judged, or judge not that you would not be judged. Maybe one of the most quoted and misquoted verses in all of Scripture. If you're a Christian and you're talking to somebody and there are reasons, we need to own the parts of this that we need to own, which is we tend to be very, like the, we, we, have, we have self-identified as the moral um, barometer for everything in our nation. So we're the ones that walk, that, that walk around going, this is right, that is wrong, this is right, that is wrong, and, 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 we're, and we lead with telling people that. So he's saying, judge not. Now, but here's the interesting part. When he says, judge not, it's the word krino in the, in the Greek. The word krino means, it's not the idea of discern. So there's a, there's a kind of discernment that is like, or a kind of judgment that is discerning. Can you discern? Can you, can you tell if something is good or evil? Right? That would be like um, this idea of like admonishing someone or, um, or even sometimes encouraging someone. But this is actually the word for like judging critically. So he's, what he's saying is, don't have a critical heart, or a critical heart will be applied to you. When he says, judge not, lest you be judged. For in the judgment you pronounce, and it, which makes great sense for his next statement. If, if what he's saying is, don't judge with a critical heart, is what that word judge there, crino, means. For which judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. He's saying, if you judge other people critically, you will be judged critically. And with the measure you use, with the measurement, with the instrument, with the, with the ruler, with the barometer, whatever, whatever measuring tool you want to picture, the tape measure, whatever you want to picture, whatever you're using is going to get used back against you. If you're sitting there being like the, the official fruit inspector for God, right? Because, then, then, then expect him to inspect your fruit harshly, right? That's really what he's saying here. I guess the picture I think of is, um, it's in Luke chapter 7, or one of the places in Luke chapter 7. It's when um, Jesus comes to the, to the Pharisee's house, Simon's house. He gets invited in, and the woman comes in and washes his feet with her tears. And he says, Simon, do you see this woman? Like, I came into your home, and you thought you were all that. 
Like you judge, you're judging, he's saying to Simon, the Pharisee, you're judging me? You didn't, you didn't anoint me? You didn't wash my, you didn't give me water to wash my hands? You didn't wash my feet? This woman has anointed me. She's, wa- she's anointing me with her tears. She's washing my feet with her tears and her hair. This woman, why? Because she knows her sins are many and she knows she needs my forgiveness. You, on the other hand, don't think you need it. You think you're the barometer. You think you're the measuring stick for God's righteousness. And because of that, you are going to be judged. That's because we have to remember, and you're going to hear this a lot. You have to remember Jesus' harshest words. Always. Jesus' harshest words are for the self righteous, for the religious. Always. He, he is harsh sometimes, and it's always towards super religious people, super self righteous people. So let's keep going. So look at verse 3. He says, why do, you, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but don't even notice the log that is in your own? And he's obviously speaking in hyperbole to make a point. And then look at verse 4. He says, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own? Guys, turn, t- keep your finger here. Turn to, your, to the right of where we are. Go past the, the, um, to Romans chapter 2. So you're going to go past the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, past the book of Acts, go to Romans chapter 2. My guess is this statement of how can you, why are you trying to deal with your brother's speck when you have a log is some of what Paul is addressing when he writes Romans 2. And we went through Romans last year, so you can go back and you can listen to that all you want. But um, in Romans chapter 1, he talks about the judgment of God is rightly placed on a bunch of rebels, which is humanity. And then he transitions that argument to, in chapter 2, verse 1, Therefore you have no excuse. Every one of you who judges for passing judgment on one another, you condemn yourself. Think about, what, think about that phrase in light of what Jesus just said. By the, by the measurement by which you judge, you will be judged. He, Paul's saying the same thing. He's saying, guys, you're out here judging those people in the world. How can those people vote that way? How can those people behave that way? How can those people whatever that way? And he's saying, you do the same thing. It may not be called the same thing. It may not be the exact same sin. But sin is sin, folks. It's just, I mean, the, the ground, praise God. Literally praise God. That the ground is level at the foot of the cross. He doesn't measure our sin. Thank the Lord. But Paul's sitting there going, you guys do the same thing. And then he moves on in verse, chapter, in verse 2. He says, you know, we know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. He's saying on you and me, on every... Because the argument he's going to make in chapter 3, and this isn't a message in Romans, is all of us fall short. All of us are sinners. So he's building to that argument here. But for our purposes, look at verse 3. He says, Do you suppose, O man, you who judge and practice the things that that you yourself do, that you will escape the judgment of God? Then he goes, "But but here's the key. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance... And patience, not knowing, don't you know that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Guys, if you are in Christ, you are in Christ because in his kindness, God drew you to himself. That's the only reason you're in Christ. 
that all by itself, I should just say amen, close my Bible and say we need to go treat other people that way. Because that in and of itself, God's kindness towards you and I, yes, to send his son, yes, to die on a cross, but yes, to apply it to your life and mine. Guys, man, I should treat people better. And so should you. Why? Because you are a sinner and he is a savior. Right? It's, it's the John Newton, you know, I, 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 or is it John Newton or Spurgeon who said, um, I am, in, it's Newton, right, who said that I am a great sinner and Christ is a great Savior. So go back to Matthew 7 and look at verse 5. So again, this, he's speaking to a self-righteous people, so look at the word he uses, you hypocrite. Because that's a word he uses a lot with the Pharisees, the religious people. He says, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will be able to clearly, you will be able to see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Guys, understand, like this is what what struck me. He isn't saying here, at some point, don't get involved in a conversation about your brother or sister's problem that they need. He's saying, do some self-evaluation first. He's like, take the log out of your eye, and then you can see clearly how to help your brother or sister. He isn't saying, just stay out of their business, because that's part of how this passage has been misinterpreted. And unless we take it in the whole, of the point of the, of the whole passage is, kingdom people are living kingdom different, like, in, in a, differently, then, we, then our tendency will be to go, I'm going to be a fruit inspector about everybody's problem, or, man, who am I to tell anybody anything? Who am I to ever speak into anybody's life? What he's saying here is, do your homework. Like, get, your, get yourself in order, do some self-evaluation, and then you will be in a better position to help your brother or sister. That's ultimately what, what, he's, trying to, what he's trying to convey here. It's, he's, 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 here's, here's all, Jesus is always after our hearts. So here's what he's after. When, when you want to, are you out, do you want to point out a flaw in your brother or sister or in somebody else out there in the world or somebody you don't even know on the internet or whatever? Do you want to point it out because you just want to show that you're smarter, more powerful, um, a bit more articulate, that you just, that you know more? Or, or, or do you want to point those things out because you have a heart that wants to help them? In other words, is your heart broken for their brokenness and your desire is to see them healed and made whole? That's, the, that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, guys, if your heart is just to point out the flaw, then look in the mirror. But, but do some heart work, and then you can have a good, like, gospel-glorifying conversation with your brother or sister. Because we are called to encourage one another all the more until the day draws near. Guys, that, that point is driven home with that last little part. Look at verse 6. Do not give dogs. Dogs were un- they're not like our dogs that we love and take care of and we think they're like family or something. Um, dog, we do not, um, um, do not give to dogs. We're not pets to them. Do-, do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before swine lest they trample them underfoot and turn back and attack you. He's saying, guys, like, don't, 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 wa- don't waste your energy on people who are who are so judgmental, you don't have to enter into every argument that you're invited into. 
Right? You, don't, you don't have to step in to every debate that somebody is trying to egg you into. You are not the arbiter of all truth everywhere in the world all the time. Neither am I. It is okay to go, I don't need to do that. That's, he's, saying, he's saying our souls are not made to be confrontational all the time. And yet we, we've talked about this a lot here, that in this world where, where we know every bad thing, we know every wrong thing that everyone has done all around the world, it seems like. If there's some pastor somewhere in some church you're not a member of who, is, who has said something that is foolish, it is not your job to go and admonish them. He has elders, hopefully. He has brothers and sisters in Christ that can speak into his life. But we just feel compelled to speak about every wrong. And it's because our own, it's, that's the log. Like, that's the log in our own eyes. I love the Proverbs. I'm just going to quickly go through this, and our last two points go quite a bit faster. But look at, look at um, in light of chapter 6, here are three. Just, there are so many Proverbs about this, but here are three, real quick. Proverbs 20, verse 3. It is an honor for a man to keep aloof from strife, but every fool will be quarreling. How about, verse, how about Proverbs 23, 9? And again, this is just, I mean, I, I had to stop at 3. I probably could have found 30. Do not speak in the hearing of a fool, for he will despise the good sense of your words. Now get this one. This one convicted me. Proverbs 29, 9. If a wise man has an argument with a fool, the fool only rages and laughs, and there's no point. Right, like, like that's, the, that's the bottom line. Guys, w- what this will lead us into, what, what this whole idea of, of kindness, toward, like this, this idea of, of being kind to each other, of, of not judging one another, of, of, of desiring to help one another, it'll lead us into wrongly, if we don't do it well, if we don't do it by, based on who we are. Remember the Beatitudes? Beatitudes, like, like Matthew 5, 5, blessed are the meek. Matthew 5, is it 5, 7 or 5, 9? Blessed are the merciful. Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers. Remember, he starts with, here's who you are. You are meek. You are merciful. You are a peacemaker. Now, here's what you do. Don't judge each other. Do your own homework. Get your act together. Then go help your brother and sister. It'll, either, it'll lead us into to being overly judged. If, if we don't do it in light of who he is and who he's made us to be, we will either be overly judgmental or, and this is what I see happening more and more all the time, especially in Christian circles, we will silo up. It's where we're getting all this tribalism in, in our culture. That's not just a church thing. It's because, because what we do is we surround ourselves with people that look like us, act like us, and think like us, so that we don't have to have an argument about anything. We don't have to have any points of tension, because we surround ourselves with people that are just like us. But that's not the body of Christ. By definition, the body of Christ is a whole bunch of people that are not like us. Read 1 Corinthians 12. Read Romans 12. You are intentionally different than the person you're sitting next to. And you're sitting next to them intentionally. Why? Because it's the tension we need to embrace. That will make us more beautiful, individually and collectively. So we cannot, we, we, we need to, we need to, we, well, our tendency is to go, okay, so I, I don't want to be this mean-spirited person, but the solution cannot be silo up and just be with people who are like me because then I can, it's easier. For, why do we do that? Because it's easier to be nice. It is. 
I would certainly rather hang out with people that, I, that, that are just like me, except that I will end up only ever just like me, and I need work. So do you. Now, thank you for the amen, brother. I appreciate it. No, I'm serious. It's true. Like, it's, and yet, okay, so let's just get to the talking points question. Because I want to have some discussion here. I've been talking too long. Why is it so much easier to find fault with those people, those people, whoever those people are to you, why is it so much easier to do that than to do a little soul work on your own struggles? Take a second. Don't, don't answer before. Just Why is it so much easier to see the flaws in others than to see the flaws in ourselves? Okay, now I want some input. Pride. Okay, we're, we're, just, we're prideful. What does that lead us to? Self-righteousness? What, what is that describing? Pharisee? Pharisee? So that's the, good? That's, that's, that's right. So pride, self-righteousness, this, a Pharisee. We, we all have an inner Pharisee that sits on the throne of our heart. Right? Absolutely. What else? I'm sorry. Go ahead, Mo, and then I'll come back to you. When you spot, okay, when you spot it, you got it. And that may be way more, so what, I'm, I'm, what Mo means by that is, the th- and, and he's exactly right, the things that frustrate me the most about one of you are the things that are most frustrating to me about me, right? Okay, go ahead, brother. Yeah, it's easier. It's less painful. It just feels better. It makes you feel strong. It makes you feel powerful it may, from, from a world's perspective. To, to be able to go, that's wrong. I even know a few Bible verses that say why it's wrong. Now let me pound you into submission. Guys, before I forget to say this, we are not going to argue someone into the kingdom of God. Jesus never argued anyone into the kingdom of God. He asked questions. He demonstrated kindness. He got to who he was. That's it. Right? We're, the minute, guys, there are a lot of married people in this room. The minute you are, your, your discussion with your spouse turns into an argument, it is over. End it. I'm not kidding. Here's why. Do you, do you understand how the brain works? The, the, I think it's the frontal lobe. Carrie can correct me if I'm wrong, but the, 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 where we make like cognitive decisions, like where we, where we actually are able to reason and think. Do you know what happens? The minute you get into an argument, your body switches to fight or flight mode. So, we get, so we're not going to run. I mean, we might run from our spouse, but, but we're, but we're going to get into a fight. The minute your brain does that, it starts to shift blood flow from your frontal lobe to the part of your brain that's ready to fight. So you are literally stupid. <laughs> and I'm using that word on purpose, little people. Like you are literally not thinking correctly the minute it becomes an argument. And yet everything is an argument now. Like Everything. You can't, you can't hardly put anything online anymore without some troll arguing with you. Right? Like, why is that? Because it makes us feel powerful and strong. And, it, and frankly, it's, it ultimately, it's because of the enemy. The enemy lives in places like fear and anger. And, and so he's spinning all that up. Right? That's the ultimate answer. In, in a book that some of us are reading called um, Sunday Matters, Paul Tripp last Sunday um, Jolene reminded me of this even after last Sunday. She, he, he uses the example of the body of Christ, why we need to gather back to this idea of the differences in the body of Christ and your brothers and sisters, is we need, to, um, we need each other to, because you guys, you're a mirror for me, and, and I'm a mirror for you. 
And, and if we don't, then all we're doing is we're looking in the carnival mirror. So back to like Sean's point is what, what, what ends up happening is if all I do is I'm hanging out with me and looking and, and, and I'm like, man, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm all right. I got my act together. If everybody just be like me, the world would be a better place. So then I go, well, let me find a handful of people that are like me because then that's proving my point. Look how wonderful we are. Right? And, and all of a sudden, we forget, like, it's, it's like we're looking at this, at this mirror that is not reality. We need this, the glorious mess, to see the reality of all the different facets of the body of Christ. Okay, so with that, so oh, last thing I just want to mention about this, and I promise the last two points go, go very, very fast. I want you, in light of everything I've just, I just spent the last 30 minutes talking about, here's what I want you to think about in, in relationship to your relationships. What do you see as a healthy relationship? Don't answer. What do you see as a healthy relationship? If a healthy relationship is void of any kind of tension, I would beg to differ. Even based on what Jesus is saying right here. He's saying, pull the log out and then go help your brother or sister. Right, guys, if, if, the, if what we see as healthy is void of any conflict, then what we, what we really mean is comfortable. And we all know what we do with comfort food, right? I'll just leave that there. Okay, so where does the kindness of God lead? Caring for one another, seeking the will of God. So this, look at verse, um, ch- chapter 7, verse 7. He says, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Now, those are all in the, what's called the present active imperative, which means that it's a command. Ask, seek, knock. He's not saying if you feel like it. He's saying do it. Don't doubt it. But it's also in the present. It, it, it should be written in some translations, translated this way. Ask and keep asking. Seek and keep seeking. Knock and keep knocking. But what's he talking about? What, what are we asking, seeking, and knocking for? Guys, context is king. Say it with me. Context is king. Say it again. Context is king. What, did he, what is he been talking about at the beginning? In the part I just mentioned. He's talking about relationships. What's he, what, the very next verse. So, so look, so for everyone who receives, everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, it is open to them. But look at the, look at, so, so, so that's, so, so what we see a word like, like ask and it will be given and receive, and because we're a materialistic society, we think of a materialistic answer. We, we take those verses, those, just those two verses, verses 7 and 8, we rip them out of context, and we get the prosperity gospel. And, and, it's, and guys, ugh. You know, if you, if you want to believe that if you give somebody a check that's on TV and, and, and they're gonna, it's going to double back your money or something, yeah, let's talk. But that's not even what makes me mad. You know what makes me mad? When people say things like, you know, the reason your prayer didn't get answered is because you didn't pray in faith. All that stuff I just talked about with kindness, out the window in that moment. That is not what this verse is talking about. Do not. Use this verse in that context. Do not use this verse for an individual to say, if you just keep asking, if you just keep seeking, if you just keep knocking, he's going to heal you. He's going to save your kid. He's going to, like, that is not, now, uh, the concept of persistent prayer is biblical. 
I encourage people to be persistent. Do not connect that to the reason you're not getting your prayer answered is because you're not praying faithfully enough. Because that's not even what he's talking about. What he's talking about is he's talking about relationships. Why? Because context is king. He was talking about relationships. Don't judge. Spec, log, the whole thing. He gets to this ask, seek, find. Then look at verse 9. Which one of you who has a son who asks for bread will give him a stone? Or which asks for a fish will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good, give good things to him who asks? Guys, it, what is that all displaying? Is it displaying like material things or even like, like personal wants? It's displaying relationship. He's talking about father and son. He's saying if, 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 if you know each other and the father and the son ask for something, the father who knows is going to give him what he asks for if it's what he needs. That's what he's saying. He's saying your heavenly father knows what you really need. He said, but, but it's in the context of the will of God. He's saying ask what God in, in this moment, in this relationship, what is your will? What would you have me do to help this person? And ask and keep asking and seek and keep seeking and knock and keep knocking. Because do you want to know the presence of God? Do you want to know the power of God? Do you, want, do you want God in your marriage, in your family, in your home, in your place of work? Do, you want, do we want God in our church? The answer is then, then do his will. Because he is in the center of his will. Right? He is not the, he, he, we don't pursue the ask, seek, and find to get stuff. We, we're pursuing ask, seek, find to get to him and what he wants. So we, so we, as God's people, need to be modeling that, I think, way better than we often do. Look at your last talking points question. How persistent is your prayer life. And again, I'm not, don't ask, I just want you to think about this. And then here's the other part, and, and Brian led us into this last week about like, and what is it pointing to? How persistent is your prayer life? And what is it pointing to? So let me just give you a couple other follow-up ones and they kind of go along with that. Are your prayers more in line with here is my will, Lord, bless it. Now think about that in the context of your finances. I mean, like real life things. Your finances, struggles in your marriage, struggles with your kids, whatever it is. Here's my will. Bless it. Or is it, yet not my will, but thy will be done. Are prayers that you, that you have that are related to relationships. Now get this. Are prayers that you have, so you, let's say you're praying for other people. Is it, Lord, make my wife be the wife I want her to be? She already is, by the way. Thank you. Uh, but is it, but do you get the point? Like, are my prayers, Lord, like, this is what I think this person needs, so make it happen? Or is it, Lord, show me, back to, back to the, the point of the whole passage of this section, ask, seek, find, Show me what your will in this person's life is and use me to fulfill it. Like, that's a whole different thing. 
When Carrie and I are in, are in intense fellowship, and I'm praying for that, about that intense fellowship, if, I, if I'm not coming to it from a heart of, okay, so what are you trying to teach me, and what are you trying to teach her, and how are you going to use her to teach me, and how are you going to use me to teach her? That's the key, if that makes sense. So, where does the kindness of God lead? At least to caring for one another, at least to seeking the will of God for others, like in others' lives, I guess is how I would say it. And then the last thing is, and this point really does go fast, loving others well. And it's just one verse. And I'll come back up when we do communion together, and, I'll, and we'll, we'll wrap up with verse 13 and 14. But in verse 12, I just want to read you. So this is loving others well. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. Is that one line? We, what do we call it? Your, your pericope or the, the heading that your, that your publisher's putting about? What do they, what, what they say there? The golden rule. Guys, that one line, whatever you want done to you, do unto others. Right? What summarizes all of Christ's teaching on relationship and kindness. One line. That's why he says it. That's why he says it here, right before he gets back into going, now here's who my people are. He finishes this whole section on, here's what my people do, by saying, you know what you do? You do to other people what you would want them to do to you. Because that's what kindness looks like. Turn to, and the music team's going to come up with this, so then you know I'm done. The music team's going to come up for our time of response. But turn to the writer where we are, just a few pages to uh, Matthew chapter 22, verse 34. In Matthew 22, this is such a great picture. that This, this is late. Obviously, we've just went ahead in time quite a ways and, and in the ministry of Jesus, and and. This Pharisee and, and comes up and shoves a lawyer up in front, of, and they want to try to trap Jesus. So right away, we know what is their heart. Their heart is the heart of the Crino judge, that where we started, judge not. These people are, the, are those people. They're the, they're the ones who are, who are judging with harshness, and they want to trap Jesus. So they say to him, what's the greatest commandment? Because they figure whatever he says, they can come against him, because this is what we do. Like, we all have different priorities. And he gives what we call the great commandment. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. This is the first and great commandment. And then he says, the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then he uses the same phrase that he used when he talked, when he said the golden rule, do unto others. He said, all, this fulfills all of the law and the prophets. Love God, love people. Ironically, in the church, we are so much better at the first one than we are the second. Within the church. We are so much better at loving God. I mean, not, none of us do it perfectly. I don't, you don't. We, but we're so, that's way more comfortable to us. And yet both matter deeply to Jesus. Love God, love people. That's the commandment. It is not the great suggestion Jesus doesn't say if you feel like it. He doesn't say if you think they deserve it. He doesn't say if you have time for it. He doesn't say if they're in your tribe. 
He says, love people. Guys, I, I get that there's more to the gospel than be kind. I do. If all we are is nice to people and we never get to Jesus, we never share the hope of the kindness of God, then we've fallen short of the gospel. Because there is more to the gospel than be kind. But shouldn't it start there? Like seriously? I mean, all, guys, all, like in a world that's telling us we can be anything, even in bad ways, can't we all just at least be kind? Let's pray. So Father, I just thank you, Lord, for that truth. I thank you for that truth that is the, the kind, it is the kindness of God that leads to repentance. That you are the God who is just and righteous and holy. And yet you are also the justifier. The one who placed all of that judgment on yourself. So as your, especially as your people in Christ, Lord, let us not be a people that hold on to some of that judgment so we can judge other people. The gospel is Christ saves sinners. That, isn't, that is the, the utter act of kind, kindness in the history of the universe. That the one who came and didn't deserve to be judged had all of the judgment placed on him that we might be free So as one voice we cry out oh death where is your victory oh sin where is your sting oh lord I just pray I pray right now as as your people that we would that we would live with in our doing, in the grace of our being yours. In Jesus' name.